Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon. Episode 17, Marshal Lan, Duke of Montebello. Critics of Napoleon often complain that he never taught his marshals or generals his exact science of winning a battle. Some argue that this was a strategy of control. Thus, his subordinates couldn't become more talented than him in the art of warfare. After all, a good magician doesn't share the secrets to his best tricks. However, this is an unfair and misguided criticism in that it doesn't hold water. First off, most of his generals and marshals were around him enough over the course of 20 years to learn through osmosis and imitation. The other part of the argument states that all students should be as good as their mentor. This is clearly a ludicrous argument. Should a piano student of Mozart or Beethoven be expected to play as well as they did? Could a novice soccer player taking lessons from Lionel Messi be expected to be as talented in the beautiful game? Could a baseball shortstop with a healthy constitution play in 2,632 consecutive games like Baltimore Orioles great Cal Ripken? Clearly not. But of the 26 marshals, the closest to learning Napoleon's style of war was probably Marshal Lon. His mantra, and Napoleon's, was to win, period, at all costs, through assault, through trickery, through improvisation, but just win. It appears that each marshal had their own mantra. Sult, Ajeru, Brun, and Messena's was to win, but get rich while doing it. Monsi, Mortier, and Lefebvre's mantra was to win, but only in an honorable, non-deceitful way. Marmont and Bernadotte's was to win, but only in a way that benefited them in some fashion. And speaking of fashion, Murat's was to win, but to look good while doing it. Ney and MacDonald wanted to win, but only if glory was involved. There was little honor or glory to be won in the Peninsula War, and their performance reflected that. Sadly, the one marshal who truly understood Napoleon's method of war was the first one to leave him via death on the battlefield. Lannes' premature death in 1809 was to cost Napoleon his best friend and his most able independent commander. Jean Lannes was born in April of 1769 in a small town in the Gascony region of southern France. Interestingly, that same year saw the birth of Napoleon, the Duke of Wellington, and Marshals Soult and Ney. Lan was the son of a peasant farmer, Jean Lan Sr., and his wife Jean. Young Jean Lan had four brothers and a sister, so there wasn't much money available for a formal education. He was described as an unruly and headstrong child always getting into mischief around town. It must have been a shock for the townspeople to see that troublesome young boy show up years later as a marshal, a duke, and best friend to the emperor. But that boy had a restless brain and a zeal for action. One of his older brothers was a priest, 
and taught the future marshal how to read and write. His restless brain never stopped learning from there. He was originally apprenticed to become a dyer, but the lure of a more exciting life in the military motivated him to join a volunteer army battalion in 1792. He was almost immediately elected to second lieutenant. As the armies of the royal monarchies headed to France to squash this French revolution, the civilian armies of France received quick training in order to meet this onslaught. Young Lan was sent to a training camp near Toulon, and while there, he learned his new trade under the tutelage of a soldier named Pierre Pouzet. The veteran Lieutenant Pouzet had already been in the army for a decade and admired the courage and quick wit of Lan. Pouzet taught Lan nuances of military tactics, and the two formed a bond that would last another 17 years. After training, Lan was sent to serve in the Army of the Pyrenees against Spain, who was part of the first coalition that was trying to end the French Revolution. Both the Spanish army and the French army were ill-equipped and poorly led. Young Lieutenant Lan quickly learned how to improvise and make the most with inadequate resources. This ability to improvise and to change battle plans on the fly enabled Lan to become Napoleon's best commander to lead a vanguard force. In 1793, he was promoted to captain due to his distinguished conduct in battle. By Christmas Day that year, he was recommended to promotion to colonel by the future Marshal Davout. Around this time, he was wounded in the left arm during a battle and was recuperating in a hospital when he was recalled to lead a major attack against Spanish positions. Sure enough, Lon sprung from bed and led 500 men in a charge that captured a critical position. This would become a motif in the life of Lon, an amazingly quick healer. After the battle, Lon returned to his hospital bed and there met his first wife, Paulette Marique. She was the daughter of a wealthy banker, and she married the future marshal on March 19, 1795. After peace with Spain was declared, Lan and his troops were transferred to Italy under the command of General Augereau in July of 1795. He quickly saw action in the Battle of Luano, which was a French victory. General Augereau commented on Lan's performance, quote, Colonel Lan has executed all the movements with as much intelligence as bravery. This officer merits the greatest praise and national recognition, end quote. However, later that year, Lan was put on half pay due to a reorganization of the French army. That disappointment left the future marshal saddened, and he was about to return to France when a new commander-in-chief named Napoleon took over the army of Italy. In the April 1796 Battle of Dago, Lan helped clear the town with an efficient bayonet charge. His personal magnetism and fiery enthusiasm endeared him to his men. Indeed, his heroism eventually became legendary in the French camp and earned him the nickname of Ajax, in reference to the Greek hero from the Iliad. 
He was also known as the Roland of the army. At the pivotal battle of Lodi, Colonel Lan was among the first to charge across the bridge under murderous fire from the Austrians. Upon crossing the bridge, he seized an enemy standard and was about to seize a second one when his horse fell underneath him. Surrounded by enemy cavalry, he grabbed the horse of an enemy officer, killed its rider, and plowed through to make it back to his men. Against all odds, Napoleon's 7,000 troops defeated 10,000 soldiers at Lodi. At the Battle of Bassano, Lan again performed Herculean feats as his soldiers captured five enemy flags, including two that Lan took personally, but was again wounded in battle. Napoleon was impressed and recommended his promotion to Brigadier General, saying, quote, he was among the first of those to reach the enemy at Dago, was the first to pass the bridge at Lodi, and now to enter Bassano, end quote. His promotion was granted. Wounded twice at the Battle of Arcola, he was knocked out and carried to the hospital by his troops. As he came around, he pushed the doctors aside after you heard of continued retreats of the French army. He rushed out, grabbed his horse, and returned to the battlefield in the nick of time. His chief, General Augereau, and Napoleon were trying to rally the wavering French troops when Napoleon was knocked into a marsh by retreating soldiers. His aides struggled to pull him out of the mud as the Austrians were fast approaching. Lan and his grenadiers launched an immediate assault that swept back the enemy and allowed Napoleon's aides to pull him to safety. This noble act cemented their friendship, as Napoleon later recalled during his exile. Wounded, he was still suffering, but he placed himself between me and the enemy. He received three wounds, but he did not wish to retire. End quote. In 1797, Lang was in command of a column of troops in Bologna, Italy, as part of a vanguard advancing towards the Papal States around Rome. With his usual gusto, Lan galloped ahead on his horse, outdistancing his aides and his escort troops, when he ran into 300 soldiers from the papal cavalry. The enemy commander ordered his men to draw swords and prepare to attack. The quick-witted Lan knew he was cornered, so he tried a ruse. He immediately shouted at the enemy, quote, How dare you draw swords? Sheath them at once, end quote. The enemy commander, probably stunned and confused, but replied, quote, Very good, sir. End quote. Lan continued, saying, quote, Dismount and lead your horses to my headquarters. End quote. The enemy officer replied, quote, Very good, sir. End quote. And off they went. Lan remarked afterwards, quote, If I had bolted, some clumsy fool would have had a shot at me. I thought it would be less risky to try a bit of cheek." End quote. In 1798, the French government decided to strike at England by way of conquering Egypt. Napoleon was entrusted with the task, and he of course wanted his bravest and most tenacious officers, so Lan was added to the list of staff. In July of 1798, the French expedition arrived in Egypt and quickly overran the city of Alexandria. 
During the advance through the desert to the capital of Cairo, many officers and soldiers complained bitterly about the conditions. Lacking water and proper clothing, the advance turned into a slog. Some soldiers even resorted to suicide with their pistols. Eventually, Cairo was captured, but the gripes continued and started emanating from the generals. One such complainer was General Murat, the cavalry leader and one of Napoleon's most trusted paladins. Although the complaint was made privately, it made its way to Napoleon's ears. Murat became convinced that Lan relayed the complaint and the two men developed a mutual hatred for each other. The proud, egotistical Murat was always being taken down a peg by the volatile, tactless Lan. During the occupation of Cairo, the inhabitants rose up and revolted against their new French rulers in October of 1798. Lan helped put down the revolt, which cost the lives of 300 Frenchmen and several thousand Egyptians. In February of 1799, Lan and his division marched with Napoleon in his conquest of Syria. After capturing El Arish, Napoleon opened the siege of Jaffa. The infantry of Lan attacked the towers along the walls and stormed into the city. Enraged by the abuses of the Ottomans on the wounded and dead French soldiers, the garrison of Jaffa was slaughtered by Napoleon's men. In a twist of fate, Napoleon's troops were decimated by an outbreak of the plague in the city, which ultimately killed 2,000 troops. The weakened French army pushed on to the city of Acre and opened a siege against the city in March of 1799. But this time, Napoleon's siege would fail. The Ottoman army was reinforced by the British Navy, and the defenses were much more stout. Lan led the first attack, and a tower wall was seized, but the French were beaten back to their siege lines. On a second attack, Lan was hit in the neck by a bullet and fell into a ditch. His column retreated, leaving him to be butchered by the Ottomans, but an old captain and a few aides returned to drag him bleeding along the ground and back to safety. Lan survived, but the injury caused a permanent impairment which caused his head to remain inclined to one side. Following one last assault, Napoleon called off the siege and marched back to Cairo. For his efforts, Lan was promoted to general of division, the highest possible rank in the army. He recovered in time to participate in the Battle of Abu Kir. The British had ferried an Ottoman army there in July of 1799. In a brilliant combined arms effort, the infantry of Long, partnered with General Murat's cavalry, pushed this enemy army into the sea. They captured 18 cannons and overwhelmed 15,000 Ottoman troops. Murat captured the camps of the enemy and their leader, Mustafa Pasha, but suffered a gunshot wound to the jaw. During the battle, Lan was also wounded in the leg and the two antagonistic generals were actually laid side by side next to each other in the hospital. Around this time, Lan also received news that his wife was pregnant and had had a baby. 
Unfortunately, this was bad news, as he had been away in Egypt for 14 months, so he knew the child wasn't his. Upon his return to France, he got a divorce from his first wife. In addition, he assisted Napoleon in his successful government coup of 18 Brumaire in late 1799. As a reward for his support, Lon was named commander of Napoleon's elite Counselor Guard, the precursor to the Imperial Guard. In 1800, Austria was again threatening French interests in Italy, and Napoleon made the decision to launch a surprise attack over the Alps on the rear of the Austrian army. To head this attack, Lon was named commander of the vanguard. His first task was to scale the snowy, narrow trail high atop the 8,100-foot St. Bernard Pass. Over several days in May of 1800, the French army went over the pass single file, 6,000 men per day. At the top, the monks of St. Bernard Monastery handed each man two glasses of wine and a slice of rye with cheese as they filed by. After descending into Italy, Napoleon's army entered Milan. The panicked Austrians tried to stop the French army in Montebello, but General Lon had other ideas. This was his first truly independent battle, and he rose to the occasion. Although his force of only 8,000 was only a third of the enemy's size, he attacked, and by his tenacity and tactical ability, he kept the enemy pinned until the arrival of fresh troops under General Victor enabled him to finish the victory. The battle was a violent one. As Lon stated, quote, The bones cracked in my division, like glass in a hailstorm. But it was his landmark success on the battlefield, and he was later named Duke of Montebello by Napoleon in 1808. He later helped Napoleon win one of his most famous battles at Marengo against the Austrians. This victory secured the government of the First Council, and Austria made peace with France. After the Marengo campaign, Lon courted the hand of Caroline Bonaparte, sister to Napoleon, but he lost out to his arch-nemesis Murat. Unbeknownst to Lon, he was lucky not to win her hand, as Caroline was a relentless intriguer against both her brother and sometimes against her husband. Instead, he married a countess, Louise Antoinette, who bore him five children, four sons and a daughter. By all accounts, they had a happy marriage. In one of his letters from the front, Lon expressed his dedication to her. Quote, I am very tired, my dear friend. You really have to be iron to resist it. Write to me often, my dear friend. Kiss our children and the whole family. I don't need to tell you how much I love you. It's of heart and soul. End quote. Lon also maintained a tight bond in Paris with Napoleon and was one of the few around him to address him using the more familiar, friendly version of you in French, tu, rather than the more formal vous. For this, and for his coveted role as commander of the Councillor Guard, the jealous Murat and his protege, General Bessier, 
conspired against him. The pomp and circumstance of Napoleon's reign increased as the First Council was trying to simulate the formal courts of the other European monarchies. In trying to keep up with the lavish parties of the court, Lon spent his money freely and equipped the counselor guard in the most gorgeous uniforms money could buy. Unfortunately, he overspent his budget by more than 300,000 francs. Murat, hearing of this from Bessier, brought it to the attention of Napoleon. Lan was then called out onto the carpet by Napoleon, who ordered him to immediately refund the money. Murat and Bessier were thrilled to see Lan disgraced. In his time of need and facing a possible court-martial, Lan turned to his old friend and former chief, Ogeru, to lend him the money. The wealthy Ogeru happily did so, without interest. Although Lan was able to refund the money, Napoleon dismissed him from command of the guard and reassigned him as ambassador to Portugal in 1801. In this role, opinions vary at Lan's effectiveness. It was said that he dragged an oversized sword all over the palace floors of the Portuguese capital. Some say he was trying to intimidate the royals of Portugal, or perhaps the diplomats from England, a country that Lan despised. His brusque manners and hot temper also led to a number of confrontations with other diplomats in that country. However, the Prince Regent John of Portugal warmed up to Lan and eventually became godfather to one of his sons and provided him with three handfuls of diamonds, one for his son, one for his wife, and one for Lan. When he returned to France, Lan was able to repay Augereau for the loan. Lan's own assessment of his ambassadorship was typically frank. Quote, I have done the impossible. I have attained great advantage for our commerce. I have buried English influence in Portugal. End quote. He remained in Portugal until 1804, when he was named one of the original 18 marshals of the empire. He returned to Paris in December of that year to attend Napoleon's coronation as emperor. He also bought a historic home in Paris, the Chateau de Maison, which you can still visit today. In 1805, he was appointed to command a corps in the coastal camps of Boulogne, where Napoleon's army trained and drilled for the proposed invasion of England. However, the Austrians were active and threatening again, so Napoleon, Lan, and the rest of the Grand Armée marched into Ulm, Germany to surround their vanguard under General Mack. During the rapid advance to the Austrian capital of Vienna, the infantry of Lang continued to march in close support of Murat's cavalry. The two marshals pressed on to seize the main bridge into the city using improvisation, boldness, and a bit of cheek. Although the two men didn't like each other, they were both unquestionably brave and probably dared each other to try something unorthodox. The defense of the bridge had been entrusted to General Arsberg, along with several thousand soldiers. The bridge was sighted by a formidable battery of artillery and was about to be blown up when Murat and Lan arrived. 
The two marshals blithely walked down the bridge in glittering uniforms adorned with their medals and diamond-hilted swords and shouted out to the awestruck enemy soldiers that an armistice had been declared. The marshals claimed that the terms of the armistice stated that the bridge was to be handed over to the French. Thereupon, the commander of the Austrians withdrew his men and sent word to General Augsburg to confirm their story. Meanwhile, the two Frenchmen continued to stroll in an unconcerned manner across a bomb-laden bridge. Meanwhile, behind them, a strong number of infantry followed under the command of future Marshal Oudinot. When the Austrian commander asked what those French grenadiers were doing, Lon told him the troops were only moving to keep warm. When the French marshals reached the Austrian end, they found a sergeant of engineers actually trying to light the bomb fuse. Lon caught him by the arm and snatched the match from his hand, telling him that he would be disgraced if he blew up the bridge. Then the two marshals ran up to the officers in charge of the artillery and asked them who was in command if a mere sergeant was allowed to give the orders. As confusion reigned, General Augsburg himself arrived, and the marshals told him the same tall tale, affirming the French troops were to occupy the bridge. Uncertain, but eventually convinced, he allowed himself to be bluffed, and Oudinot's men rushed and secured the bridge, thus allowing Napoleon's army to cross the Tabor Bridge without a shot fired. Unfortunately, the Austrian General Augsburg was court-martialed, convicted of negligence, and stripped of his rank for giving up the bridge so easily. Pardoned in 1812, he stayed in retirement until his death in 1822. After this bit of drama, the French army marched to meet the Russians and Austrians at Austerlitz. Lan and Murat held the left wing and Davu the right wing at the Battle of Austerlitz, while Marshal Soult crushed the center of the Allies. Lan and Murat had succeeded in capturing 7,000 enemy troops and 27 cannons. In the official bulletin of the victorious battle, Lon's contribution was barely mentioned, and the volatile marshal threw up his command, submitted his resignation, and left for his hometown in France. The townspeople there welcomed him, proud of the once wild young boy who was now their most famous native son. But in 1806, he was once again called to the front as the emperor needed his fire eater for the upcoming war against Prussia. Lan took command of his corps on October 7th, and a few days later he attacked a Prussian force near Saalfeld. Using a clever combined arms effort, the French infantry and cavalry manhandled the Prussians, giving Lan a resounding victory. The Prussian commander, Prince Ferdinand, was cut down and killed and the Prussians suffered 1,700 casualties to just 200 for the French. The victory is still studied today at the French Military Staff College. The battle also shattered the aura of Prussian invincibility. The French next moved on to the Battle of Vienna 
which La and Napoleon fought a battle they could not lose. However, the impetuous Marshal Ney caused a minor problem by attacking without orders. Although his attack was initially successful, it was almost too successful as he and his troops became overextended. Recognizing the bulge in his lines, the Prussian general ordered a counterattack and began to envelop Ney's forces. Napoleon, annoyed at the rashness of Ney, recognized his dangerous situation and ordered Lon to shift the French attack from the center to the side where Ney was being attacked. This move made the French center weak, but Napoleon deployed his Imperial Guard to plug the hole. Ney was able to pull his troops out of their precarious situation and return to French lines. Napoleon secured two victories that day with his efforts at Jena and Marshal Davout's improbable win at Auerstadt. After the fighting, Lon received a message from the famous writer Johann Goethe requesting that he and the other French marshals protect his library from looting. Lan was the only French marshal to respond and posted guards around the library. This act showed the more enlightened side of the marshal. Lan later fought at the Battle of Pultusk in late December of 1806, where he suffered another wound fighting against the Prussians and Russians. While recovering from his wound, Napoleon assigned Lan and his corps to the light duty of supporting Marshal Lefebvre's Siege of Danzig. Although his troops probably enjoyed the rear guard downtime, the restless marshal didn't enjoy a secondary role and complained excessively to Napoleon, to which the emperor finally became annoyed, saying, quote, Go home if you're so unhappy. End quote. The marshal was taken aback, but finally responded, quote, I can't do that. You need me here. End quote. In June of 1807, Lan and his troops fought alongside Marshal Murat's corps in the chaotic and inconclusive Battle of Heilsburg. From there, Lan's corps caught up with the retreating Russians in the town of Friedland. Using his single corps as bait, Lan enticed the Russian commander Benningsen to enter battle. One of the maxims of Napoleon's corps system was that any one of his corps should be able to fight on its own for 24 to 48 hours until help arrives. This maxim was to be put to the test in the Battle of Friedland. Using every bit of his cunning, Lan fought tooth and nail to use his 26,000 troops to hold off 60,000 Russians until Napoleon arrived with reinforcements. In the ensuing battle, the Russian army was pinned against the river as Napoleon and his marshals battered it incessantly. For the loss of 9,000 casualties, Napoleon inflicted 30,000 on the Russians and captured 80 cannons. It was one of Napoleon's signature victories and caused the Russians to sue for peace. The next year, Napoleon and Lan traveled to Spain to reinstate French dominance in the Iberian Peninsula. As the marshal was crossing the mountains near Mondragon, his horse slipped on ice and Lan was thrown from the saddle. As he was rising, 
The horse fell on him, causing severe bruising and internal bleeding. Lon was evacuated to Vittoria and was in danger of going into shock and was close to death. The brilliant French surgeon, Dominique Larry, ordered a large sheep to be flayed, and the skin was wrapped around the marshal's body along with warm flannels. He quickly fell asleep, and when he woke, his body was covered in perspiration, but the swelling and internal bleeding had subsided. A few days later, he was miraculously healed and well enough to resume command of his corps and beat the Spanish army at Tudela. The research on this treatment is fascinating. Apparently, sheepskin slowly releases anti-blood clotting agents, thus improving the microcirculation of pressure wound tissues. It also promotes the regeneration of blood vessels and has been used as a healing agent for burn victims. Sheepskin also wicks moisture away from the body and repels bacteria and mold. Dr. Larry had learned of this treatment in Newfoundland, where they had applied sheepskin to sailors that had been tossed against their rocky shores after a shipwreck. After the Spanish were defeated at Tudela and other points, Napoleon and his army re-entered the capital of Madrid. Lon next joined Napoleon and Marshal Soult in the pursuit of Sir John Moore and the British Expeditionary Force in Spain. After it was clear the English would make good on their escape from the peninsula, Napoleon handed the pursuit over to Soult and dispatched Lon to take over the siege of Saragossa. It would prove a tough nut to crack, as the garrison and Spanish civilians fought with brutal tenacity against the French soldiers. Lon took over command from Marshals Monsi and Mortier, who had barely made any headway in their siege. Their dispirited soldiers lacked enthusiasm for the grim business of urban warfare. Lon's arrival totally reinvigorated the French forces. He brought back all outlying troops to protect his lines of communications and resolved to blow up each building block by block, thus preventing needless deaths of his soldiers in bayonet assaults. He also ordered his artillery to pound the walls of the city for five days straight. Saragossa battles were remarkable for their ferocity. At one point in the St. Augustine Covent, the French held the altar end of the chapel and exchanged shots for hours with the Spanish entrenched in the belfry. The siege disgusted the marshal, who wrote in a letter to his wife, quote, I would sooner have ten battles a day than this war against houses. I am so tired that I can hardly keep awake as I write, end quote. However, French superiority in equipment and training soon tilted the scales in their favor. Finally, the Spanish defenders had had enough and surrendered the city. 54,000 people in total had died during the siege. Lon had succeeded, but there was to be no rest for the weary. He was recalled to lead Napoleon's vanguard against the stirring Austrian army. Along the way to the front, he stopped at an inn owned by the grenadier captain who had saved his life at Acre. 
Lon never forgot his friends. Once arriving to the front, Lon added another legendary feat to his resume at the Battle of Radispon. The city was held by a strong Austrian force within medieval defensive walls. Lon called upon volunteers to rush with ladders and scale the walls. Unfortunately, the musket fire from the walls was so intense that most were killed or wounded and the attack failed. Lon called for another group, but they were mowed down just like the first group, and a later third group was also repelled. He called for more volunteers, and no one stepped forward. Disgusted, Lon told them, quote, All right, gentlemen, I was a grenadier before I was a marshal, and I am still one, end quote. He then grabbed the ladder and moved forwards, but was physically restrained by his aides. It must have been quite a scene to see Lon in his marshal's coat fighting his aides over a ladder. His troops, inspired by the marshal's fearlessness, rushed forward. The fourth assault party carried the walls, and Radisbaum was captured. The Austrian capital of Vienna was captured shortly after, but the Austrians remembered the lesson about bridges, and this time there were no bridges remaining over the Danube to chase after the Austrian army. So Napoleon had to stop and wait for his engineers to build new ones. This delay allowed Archduke Charles and his 100,000 Austrian troops to organize an attack on the French bridgehead. As usual, Lon and his troops were among the first to cross, along with Marshals Massena and Bessier. In a reversal of the Battle of Friedland, this time the French were the ones with their backs against a river. There could be no escape as the Austrians sent heavy barges down river to smash the bridges of the French engineers. On May 21st, 1809, the Austrians began their onslaught on the core of the three marshals. Lan was in tactical command at the Battle of Aspern-Essling and actually forced the Austrians back at one point, but he was recalled by Napoleon, who wasn't able to provide extra reinforcements or ammunition due to the bridges being knocked out. After the first day's battle, Lon's anger got the best of him again, and he got into a heated argument with his brother Marshal Bessier, whom he thought was malingering with his cavalry during the battle. A duel was only prevented by Marshal Massena's reprimand of both marshals. On the second day of the battle, Napoleon had amassed 77,000 troops, but the Austrians fought tenaciously perhaps upset that their capital had been taken over by the French. In typical fashion, Lon threw back the Austrians yet again, who were only saved when Archduke Charles threw in his last reserve troops and led them in person to push Lon and his corps back to the river. Napoleon finally realized that a retreat back to Vienna must be ordered. At the end of the second day, Lon was in conversation with his old instructor, General Pouzet, who was serving as his chief of staff. As they were chatting, an enemy cannonball was fired and decapitated Pouzet. Lon was already despondent that he had to retreat, but the loss of his friend was more than he could bear. Visibly upset, 
Lon went to sit down in a ditch when another cannonball was fired in his direction. The cannonball struck him just where his legs were crossed. The kneecap of one leg was smashed, and the back tendons of the other was torn. His aides rushed over to help him. The marshal said, quote, I am wounded. It's nothing much. Give me your hand to help me up, end quote. However, Lon could not rise. He was carried away, and one of his legs was quickly amputated. Once the surgery was completed, Napoleon knelt down next to his friend and wept openly in front of the army. Lon bore the operation well, and his health was showing signs of improvement. But the heat of the season and the lack of potable water contributed to his decline. He went into a delirious fever and passed on May 31, 1809. He was mourned by the army, and especially Napoleon, who said, quote, I lost the most distinguished general in my army and a companion in arms for 16 years, who I considered my best friend, end quote. Lon had an impressive battle record of eight wins and one loss. As his aide-de-camp Baron Marbeau said of his marshal, quote, Lon was of middle height, but very well built. His countenance pleasant and expressive, his eyes small, but indicating a keen wit. His disposition very kind, but passionate. His ambition boundless, his activity extraordinary, and his courage undaunted. Of his loss, General Savary stated, quote, At Marshal Long, we lost one of the most gallant men our armies could at any time boast of. His life was too short for his friends, but his career of honor and glory was without parallel. End quote. Although he and his career end before the rest of the marshalette, he packed a lot of adventure into that time span. His wife never remarried and outlived the marshal by 47 years, passing in 1856. One of the marshal's sons, Gustave, became a general of division under Napoleon III. One of the modern-day descendants of the marshal, is Philippe de Montebello, who became a museum director for the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City in 1977. During his tenure, the world-famous museum doubled in size to 2 million square feet, and he was the longest-serving director with 31 years at the helm. It is always interesting to learn about the modern-day descendants of the French marshals. I believe we will finish on this point. Join us next time when we learn about the one marshal with descendants that still sit on a throne to this day, Marshal Bernadotte, who eventually became King of Sweden. Thanks for listening.